The Baptist State Convention of North Carolina proudly presents the Revitalize NC podcast. It is our aim to help pastors and leaders renew a passion for the gospel and a vision for the future in order to make disciples who make disciples. Welcome, I'm Terry Long, the Church Revitalization Specialist here at the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, and this is the Revitalize NC podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss current issues in church revitalization that churches and pastors are currently going through with our experts in the field. Today we have a special guest with us via Zoom, Dr. Chuck Lawless. Say hi, Dr. Lawless. Hey, Terry. It's good to be with you again. Well, it's great to have you here. You're the professor of evangelism missions, the dean of doctoral studies, the VP of spiritual formation and ministry centers, and the Richard and Gina Hedrick Chair of World Missions at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And always in your free time, you help out with the IMB Church Answers and have your podcast as well. So welcome again, Dr. Lawless. Tell us a little bit more about your family and how you got into this whole world of church revitalization. Yeah, Pam and I have been married. It will be 31 years in May. We were fixed up by two church secretaries a long time ago who are still to this day very proud of themselves. The Lord has led us uh, multiple paths from the pastor to the professor to working with the IMB. I actually started looking at church revitalization when I was Tom Rayner's student assistant early in my PhD work, back when we were doing surveys of churches and doing them all by hand, computing them all by hand, using Excel spreadsheets. I mean, it was crazy back then. But Dr. Rayner had a, had a huge heart for how do you help churches grow in a way that reaches people and makes disciples. And so he challenged us to think about how we might help churches do the same. And since then, now 25 years or so, I've been working with churches, trying to help them move in the right direction. So let's talk about that for a second. So our process at the Baptist State Convention of Revitalization is not dissimilar to many other cycle processes. We look at the left side of the bell curve, and we do a lot of assessment on that side. But rarely do we look at the left side of the life cycle and really give a picture of what it means to be a Great Commission church, what it means to be a healthy church. Just take a few minutes and tell us a little bit more from your study of Scripture as well as your experience, what a healthy church is. Yeah, I think it's a great question, Terry, because I think, to your point, we often approach church revitalization from the standpoint of, here are current, our present tense problems. If we can fix those, then, then everything will be okay. When the reality is we're not driven by a vision to say, this is what a healthy church ought to look like. And this is what we're aiming toward. I would say the same thing about discipleship. We want to make disciples without defining what a disciple looks like. And when you don't have a goal in mind, you're really aiming for, for nothing. So as I think about a healthy church, just to give you some of those characteristics, uh, I argue that a healthy church is clearly built on the Word of God, uh, that its foundation is theological, it is biblical, it is the commitment to teach the Word, to let the Word govern everything that we do, and that we build on the basis of that Word. And then a healthy church is not a perfect church by any means. In fact, healthy does not necessarily mean not messy. A healthy church can be messy too. In fact, I would contend that most healthier churches 
are also just a little bit chaotic. And here's why, Terry. A healthy church never settles for status quo. That means you're always evaluating what can be stronger, what what do we not need to be doing that we are doing, what's our next step. You're always thinking beyond today to move toward the vision, which means you are always going to be just in a little bit of chaos, but that's a that's a healthy chaos. So the, the healthy church is striving to follow Christ and make disciples. The healthy church for me is living out what I would contend are the six purposes of a church, worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, prayer, and fellowship. Uh, all of them we're working on uh, at any given moment. We might be working on one more than the other. We know there's a great need to strengthen what we're doing in worship, and so we work on that. That might mean that something else is weakened, and so we'll come back and work on that at, at the time. And so our entire pastorates in churches needing revitalization mean that we are always working toward what we want the church to be, even though we don't quite get there, and we're never going to produce the perfect church. And so we just keep working at it. A couple of things come to mind. A healthy church has an outward focus. Uh, they are there for the sake of others who need to know Jesus. They're not there for themselves. They're not protecting turf. They're not protecting their building. Uh, they, they want to be a welcome place for people to hear the gospel. That commitment to reaching people is more than just local it is local. It has to be local. That's our Jerusalem, if you will. But it also has to go to the ends of the earth. A healthy church is globally thinking, and we're asking, how can we reach people? So uh, people not just next door, but people across the ocean. How do we do the entirety of the, of the Great Commission? So those are some characteristics of a healthy church. Again, I'm with you completely. If we don't know what we're aiming for, even if we got there, we wouldn't know that we got there. Well, amen. For those churches and people listening today, give them a few more scriptures to really study on what a healthy church is. Yeah, I would look at the book of Acts chapter 2. When we read about the church is committed to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to worshiping with awe and wonder, and we see what happens in a church where God is just working I would look at Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20, Matthew's expression of the Great Commission. You see it in Mark 16. You see it in Luke 24. You see it in John 20. You see it in Acts 1.8. Five times in the New Testament is a picture of Jesus giving this mandate to go to the nations. And so those Great Commission passages ought to compel us to ask, are we that kind of church? The other thing that comes to mind for me in my model of the healthy church, Terry, I use the book of Ephesians. You could use several of Paul's writings, but the book of Ephesians very clearly lays out a theological foundation in the first three chapters, and then it builds on that foundation with application in the last three chapters, that we live out our faith in our personal life, in our home, in our church, and in our workplace. So as I look at that structure of what Paul does when he says, understand your theology, but let your theology drive you to live the way that you're supposed to live, that structure reminds me as a, as a church consultant, I do want to evaluate the theology of a church, and then I want to ask, 
if they get their theology right, what are they doing with that? Are they living it out? Well, just a plug on what we've been talking about. Your house and your process from Ephesians is great on that. And I'll also reference your book, Disciple Warrior, for people to look more and dive deeper into what you're talking about. I love how you've pictured a healthy church being one that really gets outside of their walls and outside of the box and really gets in the community. Because we say here at the State Convention, we want to be on mission together, and that's what a healthy church is. Good, good. I like that wording. Well, Dr. Lawless, you've hammered out numerous scriptures for us today. For those churches wanting to take the first step, what's a couple things they can start with? Yeah, it's, again, another good question. Here's what you can't do. You cannot, in two or three decisions, fix a church overnight. It's just not going to happen. Typically, when a church is in a need of revitalization, it's not uncommon that they have had that need for some time, that they have been on the wrong side of the bell curve long enough that turning it around will not be easy. And so I I think first, anyone who does the work of church revitalization has to be committed to the task. And that means I am here for the duration, because it is going to take us some time to turn this ship around, and I want to be a part of that. And so you, with persistence and patience, begin to look at where the church is and what steps you can take. Then I would say, look at the strongest parts of the church and ask, how can we build on those so that we maintain their strength and even make them stronger? If, if, for example, the worship service is the strongest part of the church, then let's talk about how do we make sure that we live up to the excellence that we want to give for the sake of the gospel? How do we keep improving what we're doing well already? So we never settle then for, for where we are. So you're building on a strength, first of all. And when you build on a strength, there's a little bit of, of uh, victory in that a little more rapidly because you're, you're finding some easy wins. Then I would say, pick something to work on. If you have a list of here are five things we have to work on to help our church move in the direction of revitalization, I would say pick one of those things and work on that. The image I used is sometimes churches are like puzzle pieces just lying on the on the floor. They're all there, but nobody knows what the puzzle is supposed to look like. Figure out what the puzzle should look like. That's understanding what a healthy church is. And then work on one piece of the puzzle. If you get one part of your church healthier than it used to be, then overall, your church is a little healthier. And if this area is healthier, that likely means you're going to be able to produce a few more workers to help you work on the health of some other areas. So one step at a time, one piece at a time. In the book that Tom Rainer and I wrote t- together, it's eating the elephant one, one bite at a time. Well, that's great practical advice. Now prepare the people listening today for some obstacles they're going to face as they start or continue in their process to health. Okay. One obstacle is a personal obstacle. And that is for those folks who are doing this. Too often we try to do church revitalization without building prayer into all that we're doing. So we work hard at it, and I appreciate what you all are doing at the state convention, uh, what we're trying to do in our church revitalization tracks here at Southeastern. 
we do want to have some skills for assessing a congregation, for evaluating growth patterns and determining how do you lead through change without blowing your church up. We need to do that. We need to offer those kinds of skills and that kind of training. But if what we do is offer that kind of training and that gives us confidence to tackle these things on our own, we're still not going to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And so we have to build prayer into the revitalization process before we ever actually begin the functioning part of the process. Prayer has to be before the process, during the process, after the process. And if we're doing without praying, what we're doing is not, is not going to be lasting. Uh, a second obstacle would be those folks that just don't want to see change. And every church is going to have them. Typically, there's going to be somebody who doesn't get on board. As a pastor, as a shepherd myself, I want to have conversations with those people, particularly if they are influencers. I want them to hear vision. I want them to see a picture of what the church could become. Even if it means I say to folks who are opposed to change now, you know what, you've been here a long time. You were a part of this church when the church made a commitment to grow. We're back at the point where we want to do that. I thank you for supporting us this far. I would love for you to get on board now. So it becomes a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I think there's value in that, Terry, even more so than making announcements from the pulpit or announcements in the bulletin. People aren't listening to our announcements. They're not reading our bulletins. But if I can have coffee with somebody, I don't, I don't drink coffee. So if I can have a glass of water with somebody, then we can talk through some things. We may not come to an agreement, but sometimes a conversation will at least lessen the opposition in another person's heart. And so look around, see the influencers, work with those to get as many of those on board as you can. Now that takes time and that takes energy and it can be draining if people don't listen, but good leaders will do that. There's one other thing that comes to mind, and I don't know how else to say this except to be except to be honest. My experience is that it is tough to lead a church into revitalization if the preaching isn't that good. I don't like saying that because I know as a pastor, anytime somebody speaks about our preaching, it hits, it hits at who we are. It hits at our heart. But we have one opportunity really weekly to open the word and proclaim it to people. If we bore people with it, if it is disconnected, it's not applicational, uh, it's not clear, it's not from the biblical text, even if it sounds good in some ways, it's not going to lead to revitalization. Folks will come to churches if they know they're going to get a word from the Lord. And and if they know they're going to get that, and they're not going to have to guess at what the word is because their pastor has spent significant time in study and in prayer, they know they're going to get something from the word, they'll come back. And even that is a sign of revitalization beginning. Well, that's a great word. As we wrap things up, is there something we missed? Maybe elaborate more on people or pastors or churches that they've never been a part of a healthy church. They don't even know what that looks like. How would they start? 
Yeah, you know, there's actually another issue that we face sometimes on our seminary campuses. Typically in a seminary city, there are churches that are at least healthier than others. Uh, they may not be completely healthy, but they're definitely healthier than others. And our students gravitate to those churches that are healthier. They love what they see. They love what they experience. And they assume that every church they go to is going to be that church just in a smaller size. And they're caught off guard by just how unhealthy some churches can be. Uh, and so it's just an interesting dilemma when you want students attending healthy churches, but you also want to help prepare them to lead churches that aren't so healthy. Now, to your point, I think that answers part of your question. When we learn of churches that are really reaching people and making disciples, not just churches that declare themselves healthy, but there's evidence that they are actually reaching people in their community, they're touching the nations, they're, they're producing disciples. I do think there's real value in inviting a pastor to, to lunch, inviting a staff member to lunch, uh, inviting several of them to lunch to say, this is my heart for my church. Uh, based upon what you all have done, what you've experienced, because in many cases, the healthiest churches today at some point were not healthy, and they had to work through it before. Uh, and so just asking them, you, you have walked this path before, help me to know what I might work on in moving my church in the right direction. I, too, would continue to look at the scriptures as I read through the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, and see pictures of the church. Though I will say to you, Terry, it's tough to find a healthy church in the in the New Testament. I, I mentioned Acts 2, where you see that brief description of the church, but by Acts chapter 5, God is bringing judgment on church members. Yeah. And so every church has its own issues, but what you do see in the early church are genuine believers who are willing to give their lives for the gospel. And when you get that, you can figure out how to work in even the messiness of, of church. So you're reading through the scriptures, looking for those positive senses of, of what the church is to be, talking to pastors of churches that seem to be healthier. Uh, there are certainly a number of books written about what constitutes a, a healthy church, what constitutes a, a healthy disciple. I just finished a, a book that will come out next summer on basically what is a healthy disciple and how do we start in that direction. So there are some resources that you can read, but I really do encourage if there's a pastor of a church in the general area where you're leading, so your context is somewhat similar and you can build a relationship with somebody who can pray with you and walk with you and just, just hear you out when you need a, a sympathetic ear, I think there's real value in that. Well, thank you, Dr. Lawless. You've done an amazing job today. And we want to thank those of you listening for being on with us. We look forward to next time on the Revitalize NC podcast. The Reimagine NC website is full of tools, tips, and resources for church leaders to think about new ways of approaching ministry. All you have to do is visit reimaginenc.org today to access content related to every area of ministry you're looking for. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your partnership in the gospel through your generous support of the cooperative program. For more resources and information, visit our website at revitalizenc.org.